Hi Teamsters, I'm Carrie Ann. And I'm Allison, and this is Podcast Without an Audience. Where two friends pick two topics and find intersections. Or not. Happy, uh, uh, July. Whatever today is. Happy that. This comes out July 27th. How is July almost over already? Like the year has flown by. I know, and it is because we're late recording this episode too. So we're we're real time people. This Life has gone away from us. I know. I know. We've been busy. We've walked and biked a lot. Uh-huh. I'm tired. We talked about that last week, but I'm still tired. I'm still sore. Um, I did finally clean my bike off, so that's exciting. That's good. Yep. I finally unpacked my suitcase. I have not done that yet, actually. That's, that's well, you might want to do I mean, it's been, it's been it's a been minute. It's been a week. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a little bit of time. Uh-huh. A couple of weeks. Um... Hopefully, by the time this truly comes out, I will have done laundry. If not, send if help. You call. You nasty. Call my mom. Let her know <laughs> that we are not okay. <laughs> so, we made an executive decision. We did recently. You, you did. We did. I did. Okay. Someone did. Actually, it was you all. All of you who follow us on Instagram oh. made an executive decision recently, you and that said, you couldn't decide. You just said all of you who. <laughs> <laughs> all of you who follow us on instagram uh named our typhoid bloody mary bloody typhoid mary drink and you know what's you know what it, it you know it actually kind of pisses me off that it was 50 50 i love that it was 50 50 i feel slightly vindicated i was really worried i was gonna lose tremendously <laughs> <laughs> did was... i go in and vote for myself yes i did <laughs> i did see that <laughs> Um, so technically, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so with that being said, and for the Patreons who, you know, are seeing the the recipes being posted on Patreon, we decided to name it the double name, the Typhoid Bloody Mary, Bloody Bloody Typhoid typhoid Mary. Mary. And we hope that you think it's as funny (laughs) as we do. (laughs) Because we have been rolling about it. We have been. Also, you know, we, we don't, this is a collaborative effort. I mean... I don't want your feelings to be hurt. I don't want to cry myself to sleep. Not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> Been there, done that. COVID was three years ago. Was it already three years ago? How does time move so fast? I don't know. Unclear at this time. But yeah, so um, when you see that recipe posted, just know that it's not wrong. It is on purpose. It's on porpoise. It's on a porpoise. <laughs> and that's just what we decided to do. Um. We spent a lot of time thinking about and talking about and planning these cocktails and um, not as much time drinking them as I thought we would, but there's always time for that. So There is. I really did like doing one a week. We need to do that again. We should. We, we can should run that back. Next time. On Sunday, we can do Bloody Marys on Sunday. Let's do Bloody Marys on Sunday. That would be really good. Absolutely. I'll make the mix. you got to make the mix the night before. Also, I'll do it on Saturday. Okay. I will bring some of the toppings Perfect. that we have listed. I have. I bought a new jar. Of olives. I saw them in your fridge. Of, um, uh, la, la, la. Why am I reaching at your face like you're going to... Do you want to, like, do the <laughs> oh, E.T.? <laughs> phone home? Okra. Oh, my gosh. I was just thinking about yeah, the pickled okra. Yeah, I have it in my fridge, so... Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Oh. So we've got pickled okra checked. We've got olives. 
we'll keep thinking about other toppings. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, what? I've got pickles. Have you ever had a pickled onion? Yeah, that's what I had in my martini. No, but like a giant pickled onion. They call them onion pickles. No, the pickle pickle onion. I'll have to confer with the people from Baltimore. Um, it's Baltimore. I'm sorry, <laughs> Baltimore. Um, so my partner has this vivid recollection. She um, spent a lot of time in Baltimore when she was a kid. And going to the gas station and mm-hmm. getting pickle onions, mm. onion pickles, however you call them. We're going to do the Bloody Typhoid Mary, <laughs> Typhoid Bloody Mary thing again. And it's like an actual onion, and you peel it layer by layer, and you eat it. And it's pickled. And it's pickled. Mm. So her sister just came to visit. She met us at the um, hotel during the bike ride and mm-hmm. brought a giant jar <gasps> of, like, Onion pickles. Onion pickles. Pickled onions. Pickled onions. Um, I have not the tried size one of yet. Your hand, she's, they're, they're big. making a hand gesture, like cup, a hand cuppage. It's not like the little onion pearls. Right. It's like a, it's a substantial mm-hmm. onion. It's a chunk. Yeah, I'll show you a picture of it after Weird. this. No, I've never heard of that. My mom talks about, like, you can get pickled eggs and stuff in gas uh-huh. stations down south, and which is, like, Gross. I'd rather die. Right. But but a regular cucumber pickle, like, sign me the fuck up. Oh, absolutely. My mom tells a story about when she worked at a movie theater. And during some type of scary movie back in, like, the nineteen late 1960s, early 1970s, she would, they would dangle the pickles from the, um, from the booth upstairs where the movie plays. They would put the pickles on a string and, like, plop them on people's shoulders <laughs> <laughs> and, like, dance them around. So that, you know, you'd get, like, a jump scare. That seems like a fun thing for her to do. (laughs) It reminds me a little bit of that viral thing that was going around on Instagram or TikTok, where you put a cucumber beside a cat and the cat freaks out. Yeah. Yeah. And the tape on the cat's hands. That shit is so funny. It's so funny. Send me a cat video any day. Oh, my gosh. So, my partner sent me this video of um, these three different cats... And they're coming down the stairs, and at the bottom of the stairs, there are, like, dozens of cups, like, plastic solo cups. Mm -hmm. And the first cat approaches, sees the cups, and, like, gracefully maneuvers over top of each of these cups. Mm -hmm. The second cat comes down and starts to, like, maneuver over these cups, but then ends up knocking approximately ten of them down. Sure. The third cat comes down the stairs, looks at the cups... And takes one step, and immediately they start to fall, Aww. of course. And then the cat gets scared and ends up, like, running into the wall because it's trying to get no. away from all the noise. And so we had this whole conversation because we have three cats. Mm-hmm. So which of our cats would be which? Mm. And my sweet Ollie boy would be the one who comes mm-hmm. down the, the stairs and gets scared by the cups falling over, yeah. even though he did it. Yeah. Mm. So which one would Dolly be? Dolly would Dolly would not participate. She would lay down on the bottom step and wait for you to move the ridiculous yeah, I cups. Think, I think so. That's fair. I think so. She's a lady. She is a lady. She's, she's, I just, I, the other day I was like, God, I love my animals. Aww. And their stupid little faces. They're dumb, dumb little faces. Little big dumb nerds. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that way about my three. Obi, today I was outside. I worked from home today and I let him out in the backyard. First of all, we had a great walk this morning. Sure. Beautiful. Just, it's it's so, the time when, of year for working it. Working from home is so nice because I rarely get to do it. 
and like you don't have to be online until the time that you would get to work so like right. i got to like enjoy my fucking life yeah for an extra hour this morning walk the dog come back let him out he goes under the porch and he comes out with this bright yellow what mushroom in his mouth <gasps> oh no like powder on his face like he was sn- snorting the mushroom. snorting the mushroom and i was like that's it this is it for Obi-Wan. Because, <laughs> like, when he got bit by that bee, he reacted so quickly. So, I took him inside. Cleaned was, him off. Yeah, he was he was fine. He drank some water. He laid down. I monitored him. Nothing seemed to be wrong. We go out later. This motherfucker does the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, have you seen the meme that's about, like, the people who discovered mushrooms and the first like they ate a handful and they were like oh these are yummy and then the next guy ate a few and he was like oh my god and then starts tripping Mm -hmm. and then the third guy dies (laughs) and like just how wild it must have been to be taste testing mushrooms sure i'm glad we have it all figured out me too except for obi who doesn't have it figured out but i've never seen a mushroom like that they're still in my trash can maybe i'll show you after we're done please do. i know you're dying how big were they were they like this big no they were like um <laughs> they were like an inch. <laughs> How do I? Yeah, like a like a little like a little. Okay, little so boop, like boop. a toilet paper claw but upside down, like a pickle yeah. jar claw. Yeah, yes. Like if you were to reach uh-huh. your hand in a pickle jar, that's <laughs> yeah. the size that they are. If you're making the Italian hands, it's about that big. <laughs> uh, but too big, I was. It really scared the shit out of me. It's fine. It's fine. You know what else is fine? I feel like we've done a long intro. Have we? Have it's we not? been like 10 minutes. That's longer but than normal. Spent, but we spent the first few minutes talking to Jacob. We did. Um, can I tell you one thing about our animals since we're talking about animals? Sure. Because I want to brag on them. So Ollie is my special cat. Like the most special. Two brain cells. And they occasionally bump together. <laughs> and this sweet boy only jumps up on my right side. He's mm-hmm. very... Um, concerned with jumping up on the right side of me so like superstitious one might say i get yeah so my where my desk is located is pushed against a wall so the right side of me is like almost against the wall Mm -hmm. and he still will squeeze his little body up and then reach his paw and tap my leg until i pick him up and put him in my lap Mm -hmm. well last week i would not let him get up on the right side um so he walks around, and he can't quite figure it out, but he wants to be in my lap really bad. I'm in the middle of a meeting, and I look down, and he's sitting on my left, which is very odd. And then, out of nowhere, this sweet little boy jumps up onto my lap from the left side of me, wow. and then looks at me like he can't believe that that was possible. He's <laughs> like, look he what I did, Mom. Like, Holy <laughs> shit, am I supposed <laughs> This is a whole new world. <laughs> so it like scared the shit out of him. And mm-hmm. he immediately jumped down because he couldn't believe he'd actually done it. And then he's, he will probably never jump up on the left side of me again. Oh, poor baby. So it was the first and last for young Ollie. Sweet Oliver. Sweet Oliver. Seven years old and only knows how to jump up on the right. Sometimes it's just a jump to the right. You know what I mean? Yeah. You would think it was a step to the left, uh-huh. but it's not. But it's, it's just not. a jump Sometimes to the right. it's just not, you know? And I, you're so much better about leading into a podcast than I am from an awkward <laughs> transition point. It's just a jump to the left and a step to a podcast. Step to into psychology. a podcast. Psychology podcast. Ready? Go. And here we are. Okay. <laughs> so you may remember in our last episode, 
at the very end, we talked about Freud. Right? Yep. I've heard of him. We've talked about him a few times. And I said that we'd be coming back to the topic we were talking about, which was the unconscious mind, but we never came back to it. So today, we're back, baby. All psychology roads lead to Freud. Actually, Mm -hmm. they lead back to ancient Greece and our guy Hippocrates. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we'll... You know, do that another day. It's like it's like Alice's the chart. It's like the L word chart. Right. You either slept with Hippocrates or you slept with Freud. Mm-hmm. Maybe young. I, he was kind I of would popular say for a minute. That Freud is Shane and Hippocrates is Poppy. Ooh. Write that down. Okay. <laughs> All right. So if Freud is Shane, Hippocrates is Poppy. They do not overlap. I mean, they overlap a lot, but not with each other specifically. Right. They didn't bone. well today we're going to talk about freud um a little bit about freud and a lot about the unconscious mind only a little bit about freud because i feel like i have covered enough of him over the course of our podcast like in bits and pieces to make up for a whole episode Mm -hmm. so this is a quick synopsis oh i like that um in my notes it's synopsis but with a sig in front of it i like it that oh cocktail why did we not think of that yo what is wrong (laughs) listen cocktails might be a season three thing too because i feel like we're gonna keep coming up with great cocktail (laughs) names Mm -hmm. maybe we should just release a book of the cocktails that we come up with i would love that i think that'd be a fun project i would love a cookbook an off-season topic Mm -hmm. or off-season project for Mm -hmm. us to work on love it okay so sigmund freud was born may 6th 1856 in the Austrian Empire to Galatian Jewish parents. He went to the University of Vienna and was qualified as a doctor of medicine in 1881 and studied neurology. Hmm. (laughs) He lived and worked in Vienna and set up clinical practice there in 1886. He's the founder of psychoanalysis, which is a clinical method for evaluating and treating pathologies seen as originating from conflicts in the psyche through talk therapy. Can I just say that the fact that he... You said he's born in 1886? 1856. 1856. Okay. Because, you know, he's still around in the early... Like, the first half of the 19... Or the 1900s. Mm-hmm. So, like, it seems like he's so old, but he's not. Right. It's crazy. It's going to be like people born in the 1950s and 1960s to anyone who's podcasting not that long from now. Mm-hmm. And that's math. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He is the... Oh, I already read that. Okay. He left Vienna following the German annexation of Austria to escape Nazi persecution. He died in exile in the UK in 1939. So you're right. He lived... He was almost 100. He died in exile? Mm Mm-hmm. He never got to go back to Vienna. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. Freud is credited with a lot of things, and I think we've mostly covered him in our Oedipus episode, season one, so go check that out. Today, we're going to talk about his theory of personality. He didn't exactly invent the theory of consciousness versus unconsciousness, but he did make it popular and spent a lot of time researching it. So, imagine an iceberg. Mm. Similar. Please do not predict my jokes before I make them. (laughs) Similar to the one the Titanic hit. (laughs) You know what pissed me off is that 
that was like top 10 movie trending after the submarine incident yeah it's fucked yeah. up also celine dion was making bank on royalties because her song made a comeback with all of the jokes that were being made yeah um so you know we also have a Titanic <laughs> episode if you'd like to check that out from season one what and i said this at the end of season one when we were doing our like q a thing Mm -hmm. we talked about like our biggest regrets from season one and the things that we missed in episodes i still cannot believe we did not compare epigenetics to the iceberg from the titanic Mm -hmm. it i i wake up thinking about that from time to time let it go i can't because we're now back at an iceberg who would have thought who would have thought that all roads be lead back, back at, to icebergs <laughs> back to icebergs there's so many things i can't believe that are coming back like why do we still have nazis i don't understand oh great question mm-hmm. also i took two 10 year old shopping recently and 90s fashion is coming back in a really creepy way mm, i yeah i yeah. think we're all aware of the uh not quite as problematic as the nazis sure uh um, sure a little bit more severe, or Nazis are a little bit more severe than '90s clothing. <laughs> but speaking of things making a comeback, write that down. <laughs> so Freud's thought is that we are only a little, only conscious of a little bit of our mind. So we're aware of our conscious mind, and then everything below that is the ego. Mm. So the conscious mind is like the tip of the iceberg that you can see and that you're aware of, and then the ego is everything else. Um, the unconscious mind is broken down into two pieces, the ID and the superego. These unconscious parts are below the water and make up the greater portion of our personality, according to Freud. He believed that his work with a client through psychoanalysis was was focused on the unconscious mind and would help explain mental illness. So he believed Hmm. that mental illness lived just below the water. Got it. The unconscious mind consists of processes in the mind that occur automatically and are not available to introspection. They have an impact on conscious thought processes and behaviors. And these unconscious happenings include repressed feelings, desires, memories, automatic skills, subliminal uh, perceptions, and automatic reactions. For example, anxiety in childhood that may not be part of your current consciousness does not cease to exist and has an impact on your current consciousness. So even though you may have had this traumatic event as a kid, it's not at the top of mind, it's not above the water, but it's still driving some of your current behaviors. This idea has actually been studied pretty widely. There's a book called The Body Keeps the Score by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, which is about uh, how therapists and scientists work to figure out and integrate brain science, attachment research, and body awareness into treatment to, quote, free trauma survivors from the tyranny of the past. Mm. But it's based on this idea that the things you've experienced, particularly the traumatic things, have an impact and your body remembers even if your conscious mind does not. Oh, your body remembers. Yeah. So Freud did not take it that far. Freud was like, listen, if something traumatic happens to you as a kid, it's going to impact your behaviors and your behaviors going forward. Later, there was more research done that was like, no, physically your body is altered when you experience trauma. Epigenetics. Epigenetics. And then that not only informs your behaviors, but it also informs like your later health outcomes and your mental health outcomes and, you know, the age at which you die. Like so many things are um, going back to the ACEs study. 
Mm-hmm. You remember we we did the ACES study last season, right? I'm 99% sure we did. You did. It, it was buried in another topic, but... Okay, yeah. So, um, but it's all this idea that, like, everything's connected, whether or not you're aware of it. So, we do this thing in foster care where we create what amounts to a trauma timeline. So when kids were removed from their home or family of origin, what hospitalizations they've had, what other traumatic experiences they have experienced, often these line up and happen about the same time. So you realize that a youth's placement is disrupted every year about the same time and that they were originally removed from their family of origin at that time. So say October, you notice that this kid every October goes to the hospital for three weeks or however long. Right, right. And it just so happens that October is when the kid's mom passed away or the kid was removed from their parent, even if they aren't aware that that cycle is continuing through Mm -hmm. whatever they're experiencing from year to year. Like that cycle is obvious to anyone who looks at that timeline. Um. Clinicians, social workers, and professional teams can then work with youth to help break the cycle and support healing. So Body Keeps the Score believes that the brain's neuroplasticity to rewire the disturbed functioning and rebuild is possible. Warning, that if you, warning, if you're going to read this book, it's very long and a little trauma-evoking. Like, it's not an easy read. Mm-hmm. I'm probably not going to read it, just to be honest. That's fair. <laughs> It took me a long time to finish this one. There are other books that I think are a little bit better about trauma. I do I do think I'm going to start reading, like, sexy romance novels, though. I think you should. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a really fun time. I think so. Um, I don't you know. have a single recommendation for you. Instagram has a lot of re- recommendations for me. Good, good. I've been on, like, this um, economics kick lately, and pretty much everything I've been reading has to do with the collapse of globalization oh and the economy. It, it scares me sometimes how alike we are <laughs> <laughs> in our preferences for things. <laughs> you love trashy romance novels and... Mm-hmm. And not reading. And not And you're reading. the exact same way. God. I totally am. Wow. Um, yeah. It's great. Life is good. This is why you need a friend who's exactly like you. Mm-hmm. Carbon copies. Right. Back to Freud. He believed that the, quote, content of the unconscious is only knowable to consciousness through its pre-presentation in a disguised or distorted in the way of dreams, neurotic symptoms, slips of the tongue, Freudian slips, and jokes. The psychoanalysis seeks to interpret these in order to understand the nature of the repressed. It's no wonder that he is also interested in dreams and relationships. He genuinely felt as though he was hitting on something with this idea of what the unconscious mind is is expressing. The unconscious mind was believed to be the source of dreams and automatic thoughts, those that happen without any cause, and the repository of forgotten memories, implicit knowledge, etc. Freud believed that there was a vertical or hierarchical, which is such a hard word to say, it's hierarchical. Kind of hierarchical. Marlboro. Marlboro. <laughs> um, structure to human consciousness. The conscious mind, pre-consciousness, and unconsciousness are each beneath each other. So conscious mind's at the top, then pre-consciousness, and then unconsciousness. All right. In 1915, Freud described the conscious mind as he saw it and then wrote a shit ton about it. 
This consists of all the mental processes for which we are aware. This is where thoughts and perceptions come from. For example, you think that you are thirsty and therefore you go get a glass of water. I think I have a tickle in my throat, so I'm going to have some truly. That's truly amazing. It's truly pineapple. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you listening who have not had any water today, this is your reminder to go get some water. Oh, God. What a good call out. Thank you so much. And wash your face. And brush your teeth if you haven't done that yet either. Mm-hmm. Um, You're nasty. If you are brushing your teeth while you are listening to this podcast, please let us know because that's my favorite time to listen to podcasts. Me too. Is it really? Well, more so now, but while I'm getting ready, I have an electric toothbrush now, so it's hard to hear. Right, right. When I'm putting on my makeup. And clothes and, you know, Mm -hmm. going through my 15 outfits before I finally decide what I'm going to wear. Yeah. The pre-conscious mind was defined almost 10 years later as containing the thoughts and feelings that a person is not currently aware of but which they could easily be brought to consciousness. It exists below the level of consciousness, but before the unconscious mind. Freud described this in 1924 as, quote, a mental waiting room in which thoughts remain until, until the, they succeed in attracting the eye of the conscious. The eye of the conscious. Today we might call this available memory. For example, you are not currently thinking about your cell phone number, but you could easily recall it now that it's mentioned. You know what, though? I had to present my work phone number, and this was literally this week. Couldn't do it. Couldn't, Couldn't do, do it. it. Had to find the sticky note, on my, on, sticky note that I have on my desk. I'm like a sticky note person. Mm-hmm. It literally took me like 60 seconds, and this guy is like standing in my doorway. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'll team the two. So I recently gave out a work number that I have not had since I was 21 years old. Oh, wow. I know. Right. Throwback. Um, But you can easily recall it now that it's mentioned. Some traumatic experiences may live here. However, the more powerful negative emotions are repressed and still not available at this level. In 1915, Freud defined the unconscious mind as the primary source of human behavior and thought it was the most important part of the mind. Our feelings, motives, and decisions are not only housed here, but are influenced by our past experiences and inform our current decisions. Freud believed there are fears, unacceptable desires, violent motives, immoral wishes and urges, selfish needs, shameful and traumatic experiences are kept here. Not only are we not aware of them, but we are not able to become aware of them. Mm, they're shoved way, way down. Deep, deep, down, down, deep down in our hearts. Do you remember that Jesus song? No. It's a really old Jesus song. Wow. Okay. So how does this affect our behavior? Negative thoughts is an example. Um, self-defecating thoughts and behaviors. Self-defeating? <laughs> I just said self defecating. <laughs> I don't know why that took me. <laughs> I may or may not have typed it wrong in my notes. <laughs> self defeating thoughts and behaviors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm beat red. Feelings of anger, compulsive behaviors, which is also misspelled. Childhood behavioral problems, difficulties in interpersonal relationships, addressing patterns in romantic relationships, attitudes about others, unhealthy eating habits, 
unhealthy habits in general, distressing dreams, first impressions of other people, prejudices, and stereotypes, Mm. which is a really interesting list. Mm -hmm. Some of it is obviously like mental health related, but what we know is that trauma can have an impact on mental health. Obviously. Why would I type that? (laughs) Much of Freud's work seemed to ignore the nature side of things. We know why. He was pretty obsessed with figuring out trauma and the role of nurture. We've talked about that before, but a lot of what is described in this list can also be attributed to mood disorders, which, yes, are a result of trauma, but can also be biological and a result of chemical imbalances in the brain. We also have a better understanding of epigenetics now, which plays a role and it also goes back to season one. That was like under episode five. It was very early. We were really smart in season one. I feel like every couple of episodes we reference something that we did in season mm-hmm. one. Well, you, you did good about laying a groundwork. Yeah. We're just now building on top of that. It's an iceberg. Oh my God, it's an iceberg. <laughs> Much of what Freud studied was the effects of individual trauma on the person, not community trauma, generational trauma, or secondary trauma. The last two on this list especially stand out. First impressions of people and prejudice and stereotypes. We attribute this to unconscious beliefs, values, and fears, um, which just makes a lot of sense to me. So when we are thinking about the ways that prejudice and stereotype play into generational trauma and secondary trauma and even community trauma, Like, no wonder that these kind of become part of our subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. And especially if they don't stay checked. Right. Um, Yeah. Speaking of which, Carl Jung agreed with Freud about the unconsciousness as a determinant of personality, but proposed that the unconscious be divided into two layers, personal unconscious and collective unconscious. The personal unconscious um, began basically... Freud's notion, the collective is the deepest level of the psyche, containing more inherited structures and archetypal experiences. Archetypes not being necessarily memories, but energy centers or psychological functions that are apparent in the culture's use of symbols. This would then be said to inherit and contain material of an entire species rather than an individual. So he's kind of starting to get to this root of like epigenetics and cultural experience. Young says, quote, the whole spiritual heritage of mankind's evolution, born anew in the brain structure of every individual. Like, how cool of a thought is that? Like, you have inherited all of the spiritual and physical and psychological understanding of mankind to this point. Wow. It's fascinating. Um, And it's a different twist to, like, community-level experiences and trauma and um resiliency it's kind of like a tree ring it is all the layers mm-hmm. onions have layers mm-hmm. so do parfaits parsley parsnip <laughs> so freud believed that these things need to be processed naturally he believed that to identify the roots of psychological distress we need to use techniques like dream analysis and free association which is the sharing of seemingly random thoughts to bring true feelings to light My assumption is that this is where most people start to lose it with Freud. We have several different theories about dreams, but I don't know that my middle school dream that was merging The Wizard of Oz and Alice in Wonderland would tell anyone very much other than I like having friends and prefer to not be startled by cats that disappear and reappear. 
That sounds like an amazing dream. It was terrifying. The Cheshire Cat was chasing us, and I was Dorothy, and I was with the Tin Man, Lion, and Scarecrow. And, like, the Cheshire Cat just appeared in front of us over and over. Like, the the animated one, obviously, because this is middle school. Also, he was much scarier to me than the live-action one. To be fair, he... He is, he could be scary. Yeah. I, I it was that. the teeth. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And mostly when the rest of his body disappeared, but you could still see his mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, nope. It's nobody's business to do that. Right. I don't know what Freud would think of that dream, but mm. it's one that stuck with me. Um, have you, have you ever heard the theory that your sleep life is real and being awake is your dream life yes and my god i hope not i know right (laughs) i real me is going through some shit if that's the case (laughs) for real also you know there's all yeah that can't be right because there's way too many scary i don't know which one's more anxiety inducing your dream life or the fact that like we go to work every day and like have to deal with like real problems in our awake life or our yeah our awake life how often do you have nightmares never never not anymore final answer wow damn that's it now impressive. i'm gonna have one i hope not i had a dream at the apartment that somebody was coming in the sliding glass door uh-huh but that was right around i don't know if you remember on instagram there was like a video going around of this guy who came in this girl she was dancing in her apartment yes and the I guy remember comes that. in uh-huh. Her side door, that totally freaked me out. Oh, yeah. Totally freaked oh, absolutely. me out. Um, so after that, I had a dream about the side door. That checks out. Mm-hmm. I have nightmares at least once a week. No way. Mm-hmm. Are you okay? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> Especially if that's real me and this is dream me. Yeah. Definitely not. not. Send help. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um. So the other place that Freud loses people is how everything is connected back to sex. Like, that's the big... To be honest, sign me up, but not in the Freud way. <laughs> Freud's shit is, it's the bath mat, and the first thing you see is what you're what you're attracted to. We right. talked about that. I remember I remember us in the, in the apartment mm-hmm. talking about that. Yep, yep. Um... So, we probably could have stopped with the unconscious, preconscious, and conscious mind. But as mentioned earlier, Freud later broke down that down into the ID, ego, and superego. First note, Freud did not coin these terms. They are translations by his personal translator. His words were a little different and German, so I'm not going to try and pronounce them. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> Though they do look kind of simple. A more direct translation is the it, the I, and the over I. Mm. Like I eyeball or the I me? I like the self. Okay. Yep. So this time we're going to start from the bottom. Freud believed that we all start with the ID, which is the over I, mm-hmm. which is ironic considering we're at the bottom. <laughs> um, But it's the part of the unconscious mind that contains urges, impulses, including the libido. Mm, Hey. Hey. Generalized sexual energy used for everything from survival to the appreciation of art, which Mm. is a very wide definition for libido. It is. The idea is impulsive and responds to directly. 
The id is impulsive and responds directly and immediately to basic urges, needs, and desires. Freud believed that the newborn child is all id mm, and only yeah. later develops an ego and superego. It's basically the heart wants what the heart wants. Right. Is the base. Freud assumed that this operated unconsciously according to the pleasure principle, so gratification from satisfying basic instincts. The id comprises two kinds of biological instincts or drives, including the sex or life instinct and the eros, which contains the libido, and the aggressive or death instinct called the thantanos. Mm-hmm. The ID or id remains infantile in its function throughout a person's life and does not change with time or experience as it is not in touch with the external world. It is not affected by reality, logic, or the everyday world as it operates within the unconscious part of the mind. So this is the part that never grows up. This is the Peter Pan of the brain. But it it, it also is... To me, it sounds like he's insinuating, well, first of all, it is what it is, and it can never change. Right. And it's That's a part exactly of you, it. and you yeah. can't escape it. Yeah. I don't like that. No, most people don't. Um, because we want to believe that no matter what shit we go through or went through, that we can overcome it because we're resilient beings. Yeah, agreed. And I think that that's true. Freud did not think that was true. The ego is, quote, the part of the id which has been modified by the direct influence of the external world. That was a quote by Freud. Mm -hmm. The ego is the only part of the conscious personality. It's what the person is aware of when they think about themselves and what they usually try to project towards others. The ego develops to mediate between the unrealistic id or id and the real external world. It's the decision-making component of personality. Ideally, the ego works by reason, whereas the ID is chaotic and unreasonable. The ego develops from the ID during infancy, and the ego's goal is to satisfy its demands in a safe and socially acceptable way. I was going to say, so it's like the decision-making and culture piece. Right, exactly. So the ego follows the reality principle as it operates in both the conscious and unconscious mind. So its responsibility is to take all of your impulses and all the things that you think and feel and process them and then make decisions mm-hmm. and like act on them. Then lastly, there's, there's the superego. The superego incorporates the values and morals of society which are learned from one's parents and others. It develops around three to five years old during the phallic stage of psychosocial development. Sounding very Freud here. Mm -hmm. The superego develops through early childhood, which is when the child identifies with the same-sex parent and is responsible for ensuring moral standards are followed. The superego operates on the morality principle and motivates us to behave in a socially responsible and acceptable manner. The superego is seen as the purveyor of rewards, feeling of pride and satisfaction and punishments, feelings of shame and guilt, depending on which part of the ego or conscious is activated. While many of Freud's ideas have fallen out of favor, the importance of the unconscious mind has become perhaps one of the most important and enduring contributions to psychology. Psychoanalytic theory explores how the unconscious mind influences behaviors and thoughts and has become an important tool in the treatment of mental illness and psychological distress. The unconscious mind is still viewed by many psychologists and scientists as the shadow of a, quote, real conscious mind. 
Though there now exists substantial evidence that the unconscious is not identifiably less flexible, complex, controlling, deliberative, or action-oriented than its counterpart, the conscious-centric bias is due in part to the operational definition with cognitive psychology that equates unconsciousness with subliminal with the subliminal. And then this is from the unconscious mind. We review the evidence challenging this restricted view of the unconscious emerging from contemporary social cognition research, which has traditionally defined the unconscious in terms of its unintentional nature. This research has demonstrated the existence of several independent conscious behavioral guidance symptom systems, perceptual, evaluative, and motivational. From this perspective, it's concluded that action precedes reflection. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. So that's uh, from smart people who are talking <laughs> about all of these things. <laughs> um, so that's a little bit more about Freud. Um, God, and it's, it's so weird. It's so interesting because so much of it, I'm like, yeah, this makes yeah, sense. I get it. Totally. It checks out. I like the way that he's, you know, conceptualizing this. And this was way before. You know, so many other people have been able to research and study this. And then he's like, but it's also during the phallic stage and right. it's during, you know, the oral stage. Mm-hmm. And um, it's all about wanting to sleep with your mother and mm-hmm. kill your father. Mm-hmm. And so I can get with a lot of Freud. I also don't love Freud. Sponsored so. by Freud. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I think that he, he loses us at a certain point. Um, but I, I do like a good layer. I do. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think understanding, like breaking down personality, I think that's something that we love to do anyway. Oh, absolutely. Like put people in boxes. We like to figure out why such stuff is happening. Mm-hmm. We like to make sense of a disordered world. We like mm-hmm. to feel like we're understanding what people are doing and why they're doing it. And, you know, even if we can't change it, we at least want to understand it. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm really curious to see the intersections we we put together for mine because mine is a doozy. Okay. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we are talking about an evil infertility doctor. Ooh, intrigue. I can't wait. So you left us on a real cliffhanger there while we went to get Trulies and use the bathroom. I know. I'm turning on my computer right now. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were. I wasn't paying attention. I am multitasking. I hope that you can't hear that shower. Do you think they can hear the shower? I hope not. If if you can, that is a shower. And (laughs) just so you know, people in this house... Shower. Shower. Yeah. Despite... Them Prop- wanting to shower. Right, right. Um, Carrie and I had a conversation about children not wanting to shower. Mm-hmm. Or brush their teeth. Which blows my mind. But I'm sure that was us at one point, right? I think it was. So I saw a TikTok today or yesterday, recently, Um that was about the revelation that just because most people like hot showers, if you don't, that's okay. And you can like huh. take a lukewarm shower. And then when you get out of the shower, you're not miserable 
because the room is so much colder than your shower. And I think I've just subconsciously done that. Like I've, I take mostly a lukewarm shower because I don't like the transition after the shower into the bathroom. I'm so glad that you are manifesting your self-care in that way. Thank you so much. I had to dig deep into my unconscious mind for... You know, why was I putting off showering? <laughs> because I didn't like the transition from the hot to the cold. Ray likes a kid's temp shower. Yeah. And kid's temp beverages. I don't blame him. I do too. I can't. No. I, I really want my prefer coffee them. hot, hot, hot. I want my coffee lukewarm. Oh, well, that, well, I. If kid's I, temp. Kid's temp. <clears throat> Maybe slightly warmer than lukewarm. Sorry, I thought my phone was buzzing. This is chaotic. My brain, <laughs> like all <laughs> my, I cannot Are you overstimulated I right am. Now? Okay, here we go. Evil infertility doctor. Scene. (laughs) So many people have trouble conceiving uh, children, and a lot of them seek various different options. Right. Um, Some turn to surrogacy, um, as Chandler and Monica did, um, in vitro fertilization. Others use sperm banks as, you know, a way for you know, to see a reproductive specialist, a lot of times they'll do that. Um, and the reproductive specialist will perform the artificial insemination. Right. So all of these are great options for parents who are seeking to have children. Um, also adoption. Um, Big shout fan. out to you. Mm-hmm. Yep. But, um, but we're talking about people who want to conceive naturally. Right. So technology has come so far in reproductive health over the past 50 years, and there was a boom in the 70s and 80s as the stigma of getting assistance with reproductive health began to lessen. So on my way over here, this is so timely, I was listening to NPR, like a big old nerd, Mm -hmm. and they were talking about a new um, IVF, I think it was called IVG, I'll have to fact check myself with that in a minute. Um, but it's basically taking stem cells from two different people and creating a baby that way so that uh, queer folks, um, trans folks, gay, lesbian, whatever, everyone can have a child that's biologically and genetically both of theirs. Wow, I love that. Isn't that the coolest? That is very cool. Um, and the researcher or scientist who is doing this was a gay man, so he got to talk about him and his husband and Yay. his motivation for studying it. God, so, I love science. I love science. Way to go, science. I love this time we're living in for the science, not necessarily the other stuff. Sure. <laughs> that's fair. And science was coming a long way, and we'll we'll talk about some of the stuff that was was going on mm-hmm. in, during that time period, but I'm going to introduce our hero first. Ooh. Her name is Jacoba Ballard. It's Jacob with an A, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, Jacoba. that's a cool name. Mm-hmm. She was born on August 26th, 1980 in Indianapolis. Her mother, her name was Debbie P- Peace. I think it was Pierce. I think I forgot the R. <laughs> it's um, okay. I had tons of typos in mine. <laughs> So, uh, Debbie and her husband had tried for many years to conceive a child, and after seeing various doctors and specialists, it was determined that Jacoba's father was unable to have children. Debbie and her husband, and her then-husband, began seeking other options to conceive. They decided to use a sperm donor and spent many weeks choosing what they felt was the perfect donor profile. Debbie Pierce visited her doctor, 
His name was Dr. Donald Klein, who was a leading reproductive specialist, not only in Indianapolis, but the entire region. He was like the guy. Mm -hmm. He had become famous for his surgery on the fallopian tube, repairing the fallopian tube so that people with uteruses and fallopian tubes could um, pass the egg. Oh, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. Really, I mean, really profound stuff. And he was one of the first in the area to offer that service. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Dr. Klein had access to some of the best specimens. In fact, the sample that Debbie had chosen was of a medical resident. So, a lot of the the people that were doing these donations were in their medical residency, which is like the creme de la crop of sperm, right? Right. The rule was that they would only use the donor, the sperm donor, three times before they would retire that donor, um, which totally makes sense. Yeah, I don't know that. Does that rule still exist? Uh, I don't know if it's still three, but it's it's under five. It's limited, yeah. Yeah, it is because you don't want more. You don't want a ton of people to have the same DNA, right? In a certain because that could get weird real fast. <laughs> so the hospital was right across the street from the doctor's office. So a nurse would walk over to the hospital, obtain the specimen, and bring it across the street to the doctor's office. Um, sperm has to be kept at body temperature to remain viable. So a lot of the nurses would stick the vial in their bra Mm -hmm. to keep it room temperature or body temperature. Tina carried it between her legs. She sure did. (laughs) This is now a a word throwback episode. (laughs) Um, so people would go to Dr. Klein with various situations. Diana Keisler, a woman living in Indianapolis, was having infertility issues as well in the early 1980s. Her and her husband went to many doctors, but chose Dr. Klein because of his reputation. They used her husband's sperm instead of a doctor. So he did artificial insemination. Um, And when they called to tell her that she was pregnant, it was a life-changing day for her. Aww. A woman named Liz White was another patient. Her husband was unable to have children. So they also went to Dr. Klein to seek a sperm donor. So I'm starting to suspect that there's something going on with this Dr. Klein guy. He At this point, he seems to be really good at his job. Okay. We love that for them, then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Liz White, another patient, oh, I, like I said, the, her husband, so they went to Dr. Klein to seek um, a sperm donor. They also chose the sperm from a medical resident, which they felt like was really sought after. So they, uh-huh. were, they were super stoked about it, too. There was success story after success story for Dr. Klein's patients. Jacoba grew up a very healthy girl, um, but she ultimately knew that she was different. Um, she noticed that all of her other, the other members of her family had dark hair and olive skin, and hers was just as blonde as it could be. Mm. So it wasn't until she was 10 years old that her mother told her that her dad wasn't her real dad. Ooh. Mm-hmm. You should probably start earlier than that. I agree. Like kids who are adopted, you've got to tell them young. Yeah. I went to college with a guy whose sister, he was like in college and she was of high school or middle school age, didn't know she was adopted. Uh, I know a lot of kids who were in high school who didn't know they were adopted. That can be so damaging, I would say. So traumatic. The two kids I know of for sure no longer have relationship with their adoptive family that's really sad I'm so sorry to hear that yeah it's tragic tell your kids if they're adopted or donor conceived so Jacoba didn't have any other siblings and when she was growing up she was really longing for 
mm-hmm. some some type of sibling connection. So when she turned 18, she started doing some research and started to realize that she started to think about, okay, if the donor's been used three times, I can I can approach Dr. Klein and say, hey, do I have any other siblings? Right. Um, which I think is super smart. Yeah. And she was really excited about it. So she reached out to Dr. Klein's office to see if they had a donor number, you know, or her Anything. mom's medical records yeah. to give her some type of clue to follow. But unfortunately, Dr. Klein had since retired. And after a certain number of years, you have to keep those files. Right. And then you can discard them. Right. So he wasn't able to give her the information. Also, it's it's nothing that he would have been able to give her anyway, because there's confidentiality um, and things like that. So yeah. unfortunately, that wasn't going to be the route that would have been fruitful anyway. So she kind of hit a dead end. Jacoba got married and started her own family. Um, and as time went on, she became less concerned about finding her siblings and focused on her own family. In 2014, at age 35, Jacoba discovered 23andMe. Ooh. Mm-hmm. So she was going to take a DNA test to try to find some of her siblings. Right. In the fall, the results came became available Mm -hmm. and it came back that she was related to seven siblings wow so jacoba was so excited there were eight total siblings from the same biological father and jacoba spoke to her husband about you know how three of those could possibly be from the donors and how he probably had a large family of his own sure um so jacoba couldn't wait to connect with him and find the you know basically to fill that hole in her heart that had been missing Ultimately, she determined that by reaching out to those individuals, that none of them were from a, like, none of them were his biological kids in the sense that they were, like, his actual kid. Right. With with a wife raised by him. Exactly. So, she became concerned because that would have meant that either this guy got around or that they had used a donor sperm more than three times. Right. Either way. It's a lot. It's a lot. A lot to unpack there. So each of the siblings connected with each other, and they began working on their own investigations. They started Google searching, searching through Mm Ancestry.com, talking to their parents, and trying to find this missing link. Right. So they realized that all... They all had one name in common under their 23andMe accounts, which was a woman named Sylvia Pockner who was listed as a second cousin. So Sylvia could potentially be the missing link to this mystery. So Jacoba reaches out to Sylvia and she responds. Jacoba asks her, you know, what surnames are used in her family tree. And Sylvia responds with this really long list. Um, and I like, thank God she was responsive because yeah. had she not been, you know, could have hit another dead end. Yeah. So, one of these names that came up was Swinford. It's a unique last name. It is a unique last name. Easy to Google. Right. Had there been Google. Well, this was 20, like, yeah. 14 now? Yeah. Okay, so, so it, there's Google. There's Google. So, Jacoba began researching the surname Swinford and found a family tree associated with that woman. Once Jacoba saw the family tree, she was shocked. Swinford was the maiden name of Dr. Klein's mother. 
Ooh. The doctor who ran the fertility clinic. Yikes. I now see where this is about to go. Yikes. Jacoba reaches back out to Sylvia and, and asks, do you by chance like have the last name Klein in your family? And Sylvia answers, I completely forgot my cousin Don Klein. He became a doctor. Shit. Yep. Dr. Dr. Donald Klein could be these eight children's biological father. And where there's eight, there are more. Gag me with a spoon. (laughs) (laughs) Like, can you imagine? No. It's... You're taking advantage of all of these families who are coming to you for help. Mm. And it gets so much worse. Oh, God. Don't tell me that. So, so many questions were going through Jacoba's head. Why did he lie about a sperm donor being used? And most importantly, how many times did he do this? Jacoba did the right thing, and she filed a complaint with the attorney general's office. Good for her. She really is the hero of this story. She is. And she received a message back from them saying that there was a pending investigation, um, but nobody would re- return her calls or really give her much of a fe- feedback. Um, so she decided to reach out to news outlets in the area to see if anyone would pick up the story. She had little to no luck until Angela Genote, Genote at Fox 59 finally answered her Facebook message. Angela took the story and ran with it. Angela reached out to Dr. Klein himself and spoke with him on the phone. Dr. Klein said that there was absolutely no way that he could be the father and he used donors only three times before retiring them. So he's sticking with best His practice. Story. Yeah. And he is not deviating from the policy. Right. Because, you know, he mm-hmm. doesn't want to admit to being skeevy. Exactly. So because they didn't have Donald Klein's DNA, they technically didn't have proof yet whether he was the biological father. So when the original story aired, they couldn't use his name. Ooh. Mm-hmm. So they had to they they couldn't use his practice. Everything right. kind of had to be super vague. So emails were then sent to all of Dr. Klein's biological family members over the age of 18 by the children pleading with them to give them some additional information. Finally, a week later, Jacobo received an email from Dr. Klein's biological son from his wife, <gasps> like his actual kid, like, like his kid, the kid kids. he raised. Correct. And he asked to meet Okay. So they met at Jacoba's church, which was a neutral place, which totally makes sense. Totally sure, understandable. Checks out, yeah. Um, and this is where it gets good. This is where it gets good. <laughs> His son tells Jacoba that Dr. Klein admitted to being the biological father of the eight siblings. And he only used his own sperm when live specimens were unavailable and there were absolutely no more than 10. So at least we have a number now. Okay. And at least that number is not 42, because that's right. that was my assumption. Right. It always is. It always is. So one evening that same year, Julia Harmon was watching TV in her home, and the story of Dr. Klein came on the news. Julie's husband made the comment that they looked alike, and Julie agreed. Her and Jacoba. Uh-oh. Her husband made the comment, I don't think this is going to end well, and unfortunately... 
he was right. Julie spoke about spoke with her mother, Diane Keisler, member from the beginning of the story. Okay. Yeah. Who had gone to Dr. Klein for help in the early 80s. So when Julie asked if there was any concern, Diane said no because of the time she believed that they'd use her husband's sperm right. for the insemination. Julie wanted to be 100% sure, um, so she reached out to Jacoba. Jacoba suggested that the best way to know for sure was to take a DNA test, and if they were related, her name would pop up on 23andMe. Right. So Julie takes the test, and the results come back conclusive. Dr. Klein was her biological father, making her child number, drum roll please, (laughs) child number 14. Four, wait, how we get from 8 to 14? We got from 8 to 14. Okay. Still not 42. Still not 42. Um, So this was really tough for her because her dad's not her dad. She's finally finding out. You know, they thought that they... That has to be so hard. They brought his sperm into use. Right. And it was discarded. So, which to me, you know, why would you do that? Yeah, you it have was, a live specimen seems like, intentional. right here. It is intentional. Yeah. It's not like someone, you know, walked out and you couldn't find him again. Right. So, Jacoba spoke with Doug, who's Dr. Klein's biological kid with his wife. And Doug said that he would do anything he could to help Jacoba and said that her and the other children, you know, whatever they needed, he would do. So, does do you know if he, like, starts to see them as half-siblings? I, do you think he has any, like, feelings towards them, or is he just, like, a super helpful, nice guy? No, I think he feels guilty. I think, yeah. you know, he, he's realizing that his hero, his dad, is Maybe a not as shit. great, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what Jaco- Jacoba kind of speaks for the group. She's definitely the leader, and she says, we want to meet him. We want to have a meeting with him. Yeah. And so, Doug is able to arrange this. And Dr. Klein and five of the 14 siblings meet. Wow. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Klein attends the meeting. He walks into the meeting using a cane, and you can see the outline of a pistol on his hip. He goes around and asks each of the kids, you know, what is their age and their profession? <laughs> and... He hands a Bible passage to Jacoba, which is Jeremiah 1.5, in attempts to connect with her. He's like, this is my favorite Bible verse. You met my son at a church. You must be sort of religious. Right. And Jacoba is like, you know, don't you, you know, don't use my God against me. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. 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 So one of the siblings does ask him why he did what he did, and he responded by saying that he felt that the mothers were so desperate to have a baby that he was trying to help by providing them with what they wanted. He also mentioned that the absolute maximum number of children was 15. Okay, so first the absolute was 3, then 10, now 15. Now 15. Okay. Enter, so some time goes by. Enter Matt White, child number 17. How the fuck did we go from 14 to 17? Okay, here we are. Still not 42. Matt is the child of Liz White, if you'll remember from Mm -hmm. our beginning, who had also been a patient of Dr. Klein. Liz White in the Netflix documentary, Our Father, which is where I got 
most of my notes from. Right. Um, she voices her concerns about how she was alone with Dr. Klein in the office every time she had her procedures done. So she was inseminated more than once, which right. which is sometimes, which a lot of times it takes more than once. Yeah. Um, she said no matter what time of the day or day of the week, she was always the only one in the building. <clears throat> Creepy. Matt White raises the question, did anybody who worked there know about it? An RN who worked for Dr. Klein for 13 years states that she had no idea and it was out of the realm of possibility. I mean, nobody so, nobody could think, nobody would think that that no, would, be, would be happening. Um, a fellow doctor said that the way that the building was laid out on the first floor, which is where Dr. Klein was and where all of the inseminations happened, mm -hmm. that it was entirely possible that nobody would have known. Wow. Liz White also brings up the violation that Dr. Klein did, which yeah. is, we haven't even touched on that yet. Okay. Um, I mean, he was ejaculating in another room, mm -hmm. being in an, an endorphin high while inseminating her. Yeah. That's violating. A hundred percent. Very problematic. Super duper. Heather Wook received a message on 23andMe that said, I think we're related. How many siblings does this take us up to? Heather is number 22. Shit. Lisa Shepard Stidham took a DNA test and had several close matches. When Julia Harmon got the notification that she had a new connection on 23andMe, she realized that she knew this new contact. Her name was Lisa. Lisa's husband had coached Julia's kids' softball <gasps> team. What? So these are people in the same community that fucking know each other. Wow. So Lisa was child number 33. 33. 33. Lisa's parents had gone to Dr. Klein, and both of Lisa's parents had been present at the insemination. In fact, Lisa's father had provided a live sample <gasps> that day. Oh, my gosh. Yes. This shit is like cuckoo bananas. What? So, it was absolutely deliberate. Yes. There, this was, there was no argument, right? Right. Lisa had kids of her own now, and she says that she has had to, you know, have the talk with her kids about dating and how they have to be careful because there are so many half-siblings in this concentrated area. So, don't date until you go to college is really <laughs> the what everyone's here. telling everybody. Sure, sure. Um, Lisa says that every time she gets a new sibling notification, she says... Please don't let this be someone I know or someone I've dated. Can you imagine how terrifying that would no. be? God. So my last TikTok reference of the night. Sure. There we'll was a, see. <laughs> there was a lesbian couple on TikTok who had been dating for like a year, year and a half, and they looked freakishly similar. And uh, for the views on TikTok, I assume did a DNA test to see if they were sisters. No, 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 no. They were not sisters. Okay, good. But there was, like, a solid moment where genuinely everyone believed that they were sisters. They looked so much alike. It was creepy. Yeah. I thought they were sisters. I don't want like, to date me. Me either. But then they started having this conversation of, like, will we continue to date? Because we can't reproduce. Like, if we're related, will we continue to date? 
No. It's like, mm, the answer is no. The answer is no. The answer is absolutely the a no. The answer is no. You're going to break yeah. up in a year anyway, so just do it now. Right. Uh, and now they are married, so. Oh, are they? Well, shit. Because it's a lesbian thing. Well, it's 50-50. Right. So, they could still break up in a year. TBD. Keep me posted. I will. Jacoba ends up getting a call from Dr. Klein himself. She said that, so he calls her saying that the, the reporter from Fox 59 was going to air a story about the, about him, and he was asking for her help to see if she could basically talk them out of running the story. And she was like, listen, dude, they will absolutely <laughs> listen, my be running this story. Exactly. He said that if the story airs, it would be devastating to his family and his wife. At oh, this that point, must be so hard. They'd been married for over 50 years. And of course, Jacoba refuses. Right. I wonder if he's been like keeping his wife in the loop about. I don't know. I mean, the kids know at this point, so it can't be. Someone must have reached out to his wife and been 100%. like, do you know? The Muffin Man, for the sure. The Muffin Man. 100%. Yeah, she, I cannot imagine a world. No, where she, where didn't, she know? didn't know. Mm-mm. At this point, no way. Um, so Dr. Klein meets with Angela from Fox 59 and basically begs her not to run the story. He explains to her that he's a deacon in the church and it would ruin his marriage and his church. And they run the story anyway. This is when weird stuff starts to happen. Ja- Wait, this is when weird stuff? Well, Jacoba wakes up one day and she goes to leave her house and notices that all of the lug nuts were removed from all four tires. That's weird. Like weird. weirdly ominous. Mm-hmm. Julie's computer was hacked, deleting all emails and saved files regarding to Dr. Klein's case. Nope. Don't love that. Heather starts receiving threatening phone calls. She even receives a phone call from a cemetery responding to her inquiry about buying a plot. What? (laughs) Can you imagine? Damn. So at this point, they know he's guilty. And they're trying to figure out why. Like, why why did he do this? So... One of the theories is, and we're going back to the, do you remember the Bible verse that he... It was Jeremiah something? Yep. Jeremiah was a bullfrog, one five. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Creepy. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Oh, I got chills. So, it it goes along with, um, you know, nobody was born as a mistake, and it's it's tied to the Quiverful movement, which we've talked about in in relation to Bill Gothard a little bit, but the Quiverful movement is this really radical movement aiming to have as many children as possible. Right. Um, You know, sending the, the... God's children, children out as, as an arrow. Yep, exactly. Um, you know, as disciples of God. Um, but there's also a really racially charged side of, of the Quiverful movement, which yes. is producing more of the white race. Right. So, blonde haired, blue eyes. Um, and all of these children have... His blonde hair blonde and blue hair eyes. and blue eyes. So, you know, and... Not I don't, looking at all of his success stories, it appears 
that he deals pretty much exclusively with white patients. Right. So it appears that way. Um, so that that's kind of one of the theories. Um, so at this point, there is the legal question, and all of these kids are are you know seeking counsel at this point to say like you know what can we do? Um, because technically, legally, there's there, there's no law that's been broken in this really weird way, right? right? Because it's not technically battery. Sure. And legally, and not this is not my opinion, but it's not technically rape. sexual assault. Yeah. Correct. Um, so they're, they're they're not quite sure how to pin this guy down. Yeah. But Dr. Klein slips up. Dr. Klein lied on the paperwork that he submitted to the attorney general. He included in this article not only that he was not the father, that he had never used his own sperm. Right. He so he he he's lying on record. Sure. He's also including that he's going to sue Jacoba for liable and slander. So we 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 now have two things: uh, denying is obstruction of ju- justice, mm-hmm. and then there's threatening. He's now threatening Jacoba. So that's so those where are the investigation small. exactly. They're small, but they can get them. Correct. So that's where the investigation began. Um, And the first step was to get his DNA. So they obtained a search warrant to get his DNA. um, And Dr. Klein has the audacity when they're approaching his house. They're like, hey, we need your DNA. We have a search warrant. And he says, what is this about? What? Yes. He fucking says, what is this about? Excuse me? (laughs) What do you think it's about? (laughs) So he ends up complying. And of course, it comes back probability of paternity 99.9997. So you are the father. Right. When asked in a police interview, how many times did you use your sperm? He answered sparingly. But remember, this was 30 to 35 years ago. Dr. Klein didn't want to go to trial. I could um, see why he would try and avoid trial. Right. Because more information is probably going to come out in mm-hmm. a trial, right? So he changes his plea to guilty to felony obstruction of justice. He addressed the court by saying, Your Honor, I'm asking for mercy and compassion for myself. I have tried to live my life showing honesty and care to others, and I will continue to do so. Huh. Dr. Klein did not receive jail time. He was fined $500 oh. and was charged as a level six felon with a suspended sentence. <laughs> We've got so many feelings about that. It's it's absurd. So even is, it, is there no medical malpractice or like there's nothing else they can get this guy on? From my understanding, it was tough because the purpose of the visit was to become pregnant. Become pregnant. And they did. And they did. It doesn't make any sense to me. But, I mean, and this is a relatively recent case. Right. So it's not like it's like old-timey laws and shit. It's like current, contemporary, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I I mean, I'm not going to pretend to be a lawyer. But even after the sentencing, people are still finding out. Carrie Foster is child number 53. <gasps> we bypassed 42. Allison Kramer, child number 61. What? 
Allison saw a Dr. Phil episode uh-huh. where Jacoba and some of the other siblings spoke out about Dr. Klein, and she opened up her 23andMe pro- profile where she has a message from Jacoba and all of her half-siblings. All of the half-siblings who appeared on the show were listed as her half-siblings on her 23andMe profile. Wow. Allison was a twin, and Allison was 47 years old when she finds out that Dr. Klein is her real dad. Not only was Dr. Klein the fertility doctor of her mother, he was also Allison's fertility (gasps) doctor. No! Yes. No, 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 no. He did her paps, her breast exam. Can you imagine? No. It's just, it's, it's, it's terrible. It's freaky. In 2018, the mother's... Um, and the siblings of the Dr. Klein case successfully passed, legis- successfully passed whoa, legislation in Indiana making illicit donor insemination illegal. This is current. There is, like, no current federal law. Right, right. Because whoever thought we would need it. Yeah. There are currently 94 Klein children and counting. You have got to be kidding 94 94 it's so fucked up so if you're interested in this story i would highly recommend the netflix documentary our father again which is where i got the meat of my notes today and that is the evil infertility doctor dr donald klein (laughs) my mind is so blown (laughs) I have so many thoughts right now. I know. I feel like I need a whole other episode just to unpack all of my just thoughts to, from that. Just to digest it. I know. It's like an iceberg where it started with Jacob, Jacoba mm-hmm. and then just got worse. Well, it's like that story. It's like the, the episode I did in season one about the adoption. Yes. It's just absurd. And it gets worse the more you listen to it. It really does. So... I think intersections for the unconscious mind and for Dr. Klein is that, what the fuck was he thinking? And right. W- was it intentional? Right. I mean, obviously it was intentional. It, yeah, it was definitely intentional, but what motivated what, exactly, it? Exactly. What was the motive? Um, was, was it he, the quiverful movement? Was it this idea of, like, go forth and reproduce? Mm-hmm. Or was he? did he really think that he was doing good? I just can't believe. No. You go into another room and you jack off when your client is on the table in a paper gown with her knees spread apart? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I do not have the words for how disgusted that disgusting that is. A hundred percent. So yeah, I think I think there's a lot of Freudian elements to Dr. Klein. And that's first of all, the audacity. <laughs> <laughs> The sex, uh-huh. the, like, the, yeah, I'm I'm sorry, I'm so blown away still, I'm just trying to process. I know. We can think on it. I think that's good. I think that that's a great link up, though, is the, the um, connection to his motivations and his desires and why he would behave in this way. Um, was he even conscious or aware of, like, what was driving it or... You know, was he just doing what he wanted to do or what he felt led to do and why? And mm. 
And I don't know that we will ever know. I'm going to say that we won't. Yeah. I am really curious how many children this man made. Right now, we're, we're, we're pushing 100. Pushing 100. Mm-hmm. Which is terrifying. Which is not sparingly, I must say. No. And not for... It was Indiana, right? Mm-hmm. Indiana's not or like... Indianapolis. Indianapolis. Um, which is in Indiana. <laughs> which is in Indiana, yeah. I wasn't going to correct you, but... Um, which is a big city, for sure, but, like, not that big. Well, and that's why they're all, like, bumping into each other. Yeah. You know, you gotta go. You got, y'all got gotta go. You gotta spread Let's spread go ahead and out. get on out. I mean, 100 people in Charlotte is a lot. Right. That you're related to. Yeah. And you're all relatively the same age. Right. You're you know? within, I mean, like, what, 30 years of each other? Yeah, I mean, you know, you're within a, uh, a generation absolutely so it is cuckoo bananas wow. and you know we'll continue to do updates as we get them on more babies um but yeah so if you guys can think of additional intersections let us know on on instagram and um yeah Thank you guys so much for listening. (laughs) Add us on Instagram if you want to become a patron. If you feel so inclined, you will get some amazing cocktail recipes and our pasta recipe from season one, which was highly sought after. Yeah. Um, But yeah, thank you guys so much for supporting us. We love this podcast and we love you. And if you support us, blink twice. And if you're out there, keep listening. Thank you for listening to Podcasts Without an Audience. Find us on social media at pod without an odd. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook or find us on the web at podcast without an audience.com. Shoot us an email at pod without an odd at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver editing by Jacob Beeson. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks, and keep listening.